right, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Some of the principles that we're going to talk about this afternoon I've taught on before, and you may recognize some of them, but they're good reminders for us, and I'll just briefly touch on them before we get to where I really want to spend our time uh, this afternoon. But I want to read for you, and you follow along, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. If you understand the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing and dealing with the, the uh, love offering that was to be taken up for the persecuted and poor saints in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul had uh, talked to all the churches, and the church at Corinth was one church that in the beginning, and you could, as you studied this out, you would find that Paul said a year ago, uh, you we're promising to do this. And so Paul is saying, now's the time to collect. Now's the time to put your money where your mouth was. And you, it's time to give like you promised that you would. And so that's the whole context of, of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, really dealing with this subject. But what's interesting about this is that Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, but he's using an example of a different church as an example of, of a heart for giving and a heart for missions. And Paul says in verse 1, We do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And we'll get to Philippians in just a little bit, but Paul is talking about the churches of Macedonia, which the church at Philippi was one who was a great missions minded church, and I want to bring out some principles about that church in just a little while. But before we get to any of that, I want to just open by saying this, you know, when we consider the work of missions or carrying the gospel to the whole world, uh, Jesus Christ gave us what missions was when he said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, when he said make disciples and baptize them and then teach them to all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus gave us what the essence of missions was. And, and when we consider that, um, making converts, baptizing them, discipling those converts, planting churches, and then sending others out to do the same thing, reproducing ourselves. Listen, we cannot help but refer to the examples that are given in the New Testament of this great calling of God. We should not and cannot make up our own way. The Lord has already given it to us. Amen. And so we need to follow the example of Scripture. And listen, I, 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 get, I get grieved and I get nervous when I hear 
pastors in churches, in good churches, start saying things like this. Well, we don't do things exactly as they did it in the New Testament. I get nervous and I get grieved in my heart when I hear things like that because, because that idea, that philosophy, that mindset, where does it ever end? We can justify something today that we don't do the same as they did in the New Testament, but, but tomorrow we can justify something else and the day after that. And where does that ever end? We'll never go wrong by trying the very best that we can to model our Christian life, our Christian service, our work in, in the New Testament church will never go wrong by trying to model the New Testament pattern as close as we possibly can. Yeah. It should always be our desire to follow the scriptural precedent and pattern. So how did early churches see the accomplishment of Great Commission work? How did they do it? It's a great work, an impossible work in the flesh. But Jesus said, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus said, I will be with you in the doing of that uh, until the end of the earth. So how did the early churches, New Testament churches, accomplish Great Commission work? What were the keys to getting the job done? Well, I think that we find the main ingredient right here in this verse of Scripture, chapter 8 and verse 1. When Paul says, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. What is the primary ingredient for getting the job done? God's grace. God's grace. And Paul highlights a shining example of a church or churches in Macedonia. He, he talks about, uh, and, and we'll look at some of the things in just a little bit about their method and their, the work of God through the grace of God in their lives in just a little bit. And the, the main church that I want to draw your attention to is the church at Philippi, which we'll get to. But let me just briefly look at some of the words in here. First of all, I want you to notice with me the activity of the grace of God. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, We do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Here we find the activity of the grace of God. These verses speak of God's grace being bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, of which Philippi, the Philippian church, was one of those churches. But Paul says, we do you to wit. That word, wit, it means to know. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know this. We do you to wit. I want you to know of the grace of God. The word grace here is the Greek word charis, of course, which means divine favor, but it also means the divine enabling of God. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know, I want to draw your attention to the divine enabling that has been given to these churches. What was the result of, of God's grace, God's divine enabling on these people's lives? Well, verse 2 tells us that they were able to experience joy despite affliction. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Paul says to the church in Corinth, that church over there, 
I want you to understand the grace of God, the enabling that God has given to this church, which, by the way, uh, you'll see it was a church that was in deep poverty, a deep, uh, a deep affliction. And Paul says, because of the enabling of God, this church was able to experience joy in spite of affliction. How is it possible to be joyful in the midst of affliction and trials? Only the grace of God, the enabling of God. Because my flesh certainly has no power to be joyful in the middle of trial and affliction. In fact, I want to complain, and I want to moan and groan, and I want it to stop. How are we able to experience joy in spite of trial? Only the grace of God, the enabling, divine enabling. These people experienced rich, the richness of God's grace. And actually, they had seen that in Paul's life, an example of that. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, just keep your place here. Acts chapter 16. In context here, in Acts 16, this is when the church in Philippi was planted by the Apostle Paul. The Bible says in verse 12, from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we're in that city abiding certain days. Skip down to verse 16. And it came to pass, as, he, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. That means uh, to utter spells and things like that. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And get this, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You know the rest of the story. The Philippian jailer and all of his house ended up getting saved. The point I'm drawing from this, though, is that in the middle of all of this affliction, being arrested, being beaten, being thrown in prison, their feet fast in the stocks, at midnight, Paul sang praises unto God. How was he able to rejoice? in the midst of trial and affliction, the grace of God. And so the church had seen an example of that in Paul's life. They were able to experience joy despite affliction. You go back to our text, not only that, they were able to give liberally despite poverty. Verse 2 says that in their deep poverty, they abounded unto the riches of their liberality. He's talking about giving. Even in, in, to the poor saints in Jerusalem, they were able to give liberally despite their deep poverty because of the grace of God. 
You know what? It's not true that you have to be rich to be a liberal giver. You read in Mark chapter 12 how Jesus observed all of these rich men throwing in their bags of money into the treasury. And one widow with two mites threw in all that she had. And Jesus said, she's given more than all of them put together, all of their bags of money, because they gave out of their riches, they gave out of their, uh, their wealth, and she gave all that she had. And in God's eyes, it was more valuable than all the others put together. My point is, in God's eyes, great gifts flow through unlikely vessels by God's grace, by God's enabling. So the question is, why does the grace of God enter into the discussion on giving? Grace is very prominent in this text here. Paul is using it as an example for the church in Corinth. Is grace or divine enabling essential in giving? Yeah, it is. But why is it essential in giving? Well, first of all, number one, because we are so inclined by our sinful nature to be selfish. That's why God's grace is essential in giving. Because we're inclined by our nature to be selfish. The flesh says, I want what I want. I want to keep what I get. It's mine. And I think if we're honest, we would confess that that is our natural tendency. And whether that applies to our time, whether that applies to our choices, our decisions, our leisure, our pastimes, our possessions, or our money, the fleshly response is usually, it's mine. We're inclined to be selfish, and God's grace is needed for us to overcome that attachment. Look at, look at our text in verse, uh, verse 2 there, where Paul says here that their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power, that means to, to their ability, so they're in deep poverty, they're in affliction, and yet they're giving what they have. They don't have much. For to their power, that's their ability, I bear record. Yea, and beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves. And verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. What is he saying here? They gave according to their ability, and then he says beyond their ability, they wanted to give. They were willing of themselves, and here's what they did. They, they were begging the pastor, the preacher, to take the little that they had and give it away to somebody else who had a need. Had a need. Even in deep poverty, the Philippian church gave generously because of God's grace in their life. And you know what? We need... God's grace in our life as well. Saints of God can be enabled by God to see material things and money as they are, simply tools that can be used for God's glory, just like everything else in life. The grace of God is essential in the work of missions when it comes to giving, certainly. But I want to spend our time this afternoon in a different passage of Scripture. And I want you to go over to Philippians chapter 4. I wanted you to see that first. Because the grace of God is so essential, the, the enabling of God. But the grace of God produces many notable things. 
related to missions. And the Philippian church was a great missions-minded church. And I want you to see some other things that the grace of God produced for them. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 10, Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's some notable things in here that the grace of God bestowed on the church at Philippi produced. I want you to note some of these verses with me. In verse 10, Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. You know what the grace of God produced in the church at Macedonia? The ability to care for the missionary. He says, your care was flourishing again. You know what that word care means? We might think of it in terms of like, you know, um, uh, we, we really care about you, Brother Noah. Really, if we, have, we have affection for you, Brother Noah. And we just have these strong feelings for you. We care for you. But the word care means to be mentally disposed. It means to interest one's self. It means to have affection for. And it's a lot more than just having a feeling of, of, of affection for a person. It means to be in tune with. That's interesting. So Paul is saying, because of the grace of God, you were able to be in tune with me, to care for me, to dispose yourself, to interest yourself in all that I'm doing for the Lord. To be in tune with. I think that is very interesting because how many times in churches does do because of separation, because of distance, because of, you know, not a lot of communication. How many times is there a great void and a disconnect between the home church and the missionary on the field? You understand what I'm saying? And we go about our life, and we live our life, and we do our things, 
And maybe on Wednesday night, when the pastor reads a prayer letter, we might have a thought about the missionary that we send money to that we're supposed to pray for. How many times in churches, listen, are, is there a complete unawareness of actually what's happening on the mission field with their own missionary, let alone the 30 that we support over there? Completely not in tune with what's happening in the work and the ministry. Not a clue. The grace of God is necessary, is what I'm saying. And this church was so in tune with the Apostle Paul, not just because of him, but it's the work of the Lord. And he says, he says your care of me has flourished again. Every Sunday morning, I text our missionary, our evangelist, Brother Noah. And I'll do that more than just once a week, but specifically on Sunday morning. Because I want to know what's happened in the last week, what's going on with him, because I want to share it with all the men who come to men's prayer meeting at 845 Sunday morning. Why do I do that? Because I want you to be in tune with what God is doing through our evangelist, our missionary, Brother Noah George. Does that make sense? Why do I want that? So that you can pray for him. So that you can lift him up before the Lord. So that you can pray for the work of God. And, I, and we make specific prayer requests, like, like praying for Mustafa, and praying for his wife, and praying for Ahmed, and praying for Hamoud. Do you even remember their names? Not that you have to. But do you understand what I'm saying? Because we need to pray for him. We need to pray for them. We need to be in tune. Because if we're not, we're certainly not going to care. We're not going to pray like we should. We need God's grace. I need God's grace to help me get over my attachments to myself. Amen? Look at verse 14. Paul says, notwithstanding. So he just talks about, look, you're care of me, and you're, you're in tune with what my needs are. And, 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 and you're, you, you wanted to do it more, but you didn't have opportunity to. And then he says, not that I speak in respect of want. Paul says, it's not because I have these great needs and, I, and, I, and I'm suffering. He says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Whether I'm, I, I'm abounding right now or whether I'm in poverty, I know how to, uh, I, I've been instructed to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer needy. He says, I've learned all that, and I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. But then he says, notwithstanding. So he's going to draw attention back to the church here, and he says, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. So he says here, you did a good job. You did well. You've done well as a church communicating with my affliction. You know what the word affliction means? It means burden. And he's not talking about a physical burden. He's not talking about 
the physical need that he has. And I know this because the word communicate, he says, you've done well in communicating with my affliction. The word communicate means to share in company with, and it means to participate. He says, you've done a good job in in sharing and participating in my burden, the burden I have. What is the burden that Paul had? Souls of men. The soul of men. Do you have a burden? Do you want to share in company with and participate in the burden of our evangelist, our missionary, for all those that we support? Why do I read prayer letters Wednesday night? Why do we show videos when they come so that we can participate and that we can share in company with the burden of those men of God in the field that they're on. That's why. If it's not ever a thought other than on Wednesday night, I wonder where our focus really is. You know, this morning, I'll play this for you. This morning, I got a a voice message from Noah because he was driving, so he couldn't really type it all out. And I played this for the men this morning because it's a direct answer, direct answer to very specific prayers that we've been praying. Okay. And we make very specific prayer because we are sharing in the burden of what the Lord is doing in this country through our evangelists. And I think it's a waste and it's a shame if he says, hey, would you pray about these things? And we never do. But then when he sends word back like this, it rejoices my heart that very specific things are being answered. And it helps me. It helps me and it should help you to be able to participate and share in the burden as well. Here, I'll just put it up to this one here. I'll just put it up to this one here. Listen to this. So we've been praying specifically for Mustafa, his wife, to be safe. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, at least. No, it was probably at least three, maybe four. In, in we asked specific prayer that we'd start praying for, for his wife because she's getting close to salvation. And women in that culture sometimes face persecution even more than men do. But it was a very particular prayer request. The second prayer request was that Mustafa and Ahmed would both submit to the Lord in scriptural baptism, following the Lord, taking that step of obedience. Amen? We started praying about those things. Now listen to this. So I'm not going to write a message, but uh, keep praying for, for Mustafa. His wife made a... I haven't talked to her personally, but he told me that his wife has said that she wants to follow him and take, take on Christ as well. So praise the Lord for that. And he's also convinced uh, of baptism so he's 
he's on the right track and we've got a few more lessons but he's he's convinced that's the step he needs to take that he wants to take and uh so yeah praise the lord for for that for sure um also pray for hamoud uh, the man i mentioned before he's he also had a number of long discussions with him and he's seems to be very teachable i think he's i think he's got a good spirit i think he's got a real interest in knowing knowing more depth of, of the bible and so we're gonna i'm gonna start with some concentrated lessons with him and see where that see where that goes so praise the lord for for all those things we've got our new facility up and up and going so we're gonna start using that soon if nothing if you know during the week for these discipleship lessons and small groups and and stuff like that and keep the keep the being meetings on saturday uh on saturday because this saturday we had probably well over 100 people so um you know it's the broad net getting a lot of people coming i know a lot of them interested mostly in seeing if they can get a handout but they're all hearing the gospel regardless so pray for those things and we love you guys miss you bye amen amen correct answer to prayer and he talks about hamoud who's interested in the gospel we've been praying for him we need to pray for his salvation do you Have you this week, this last week? I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm trying to highlight something here. That maybe, just maybe, we need some more of God's grace in our life so that we can have more of a share in the burden. Amen? Paul said to the church in Philippi, you did well, you've done good in sharing and participating in the burden of the ministry. That's our own. What about all the others that we support too? Look at verses 15 and 16. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Because of the grace of God in their life, they stood by him in sending support to him, even when no one else did. And remember, this was, this was not a wealthy church. This was a church that was afflicted. This was a church that was impoverished at the time, and they were able to give beyond their ability to even support him when no one else did by the grace of God. It was God's grace working in and through them that enabled them to rejoice and to give and to share in the burden of Paul effectively, despite their own situation. Their own situation wasn't good. I don't know if I'm connecting. We shouldn't let things go in one ear and out the other or our minds be so clouded that the truths of God just are getting mixed. I hope not. I don't know. I hope not. But what I'm saying is we need God's grace too. God's divine enabling. This was a missions-minded church. What a great example this church was. 
why then, the question, we see some of the things that the grace of God produced for this church. But the question is, how did they access it? How did they get it? Why did they have the grace of God, the enabling of God? We'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please. Because I want you to see verse 5. So Paul's bragging on the church in Philippi to the church at Corinth. And he talks about the grace of God that was bestowed on them and what it's produced and, and what God has been able to do. But why? How did they access the grace of God? Verse 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. How did they access the grace of God? The reason for God's might demonstrated in this church and their unusual faith and even their miraculous financial investment in the Lord's work is right. It's found right here. Here's the reason why. Because these people were personally yielded to the Lord themselves to the instruments in his hand. You know what we call that? Surrender. Lord, I don't have much. I don't feel like I have a lot to give you. I certainly don't have a lot of money to give. I don't feel like I have a lot of talent. But whatever I have is yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I give myself to you first. Paul exemplified that spirit as well. When he was saved on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, his heart attitude, which he seemed to demonstrate from that time forward to the end of his life, was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Listen, we can access God's grace by faith through a surrendered and a yielded heart as well. Are you really yielded to the Lord? I wonder sometimes... What exactly motivates people to come to church? I wonder sometimes. Maybe not necessarily in our church, but maybe. Why are you here? What do you, what do you find attractive? Or what's holding you? Why are you here? Here with me? We ought to say, well, I'm here because the Lord is here. I want to be where He is. And I want Him to have my life and I'll go do whatever He wants me to do. Go back to Philippians 4. I want to point out one more thing and I'll be done. See what is accomplished by the grace of God. In verse 16, Paul said, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. So apparently the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus with all of these things. And 
and, and Paul received them. And he said it was a blessing to him. He's full. He said, your gift is an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The grace of God working in and through these saints accomplished a whole lot. According to verse 16, we find that evangelistic labor was enhanced because of their sacrifice. It was accomplished by faith. He says, even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Paul had needs. But them meeting the need enabled him then to continue on preaching the gospel. Paul trusted the Lord, but his needs were met in Thessalonica by the church in Philippi, so the gospel could continue. I want you to see what Paul told the church in Corinth. Go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 15. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Paul said, when your faith is increased, we'll be enlarged and we'll be able to take the gospel to places that it's never been before, that no one else is preaching there. His hope was that when their faith was increased, that the gospel would move forward into the regions beyond. All of that is in the context of church giving. So the grace of God working in and through them accomplished more in evangelistic labors. According to verse 18, if you go back to our text, the church was able to be a great blessing. Paul says, I've, I have all, I abound, I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. Their sacrifice was something that God approved of. Their giving was something that God approved of. We won't take the time to really talk about this, but the words that Paul uses in relation to their giving and to their gift and their care of the missionary, he says it's an odor of a sweet smell. It's a sacrifice acceptable that's well-pleasing to God. The very same language and words used in relation to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, of his own blood, well-pleasing to God. But not only that, in the end, all their own needs were met. Paul said in verse 19, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory. Did need arise for the Philippian church? Probably so. Did more need arise because of their sacrificial giving to missions and caring for the Apostle Paul? Perhaps it did, but God provided for every need, and no doubt their faith grew because of it. And I'm simply saying this, what a great example of God's grace at work when God's people operate in faith. The spread of the gospel 
friends, it requires resources that are both physical and financial. How do we accomplish the task of sending evangelists around the world to preach the gospel? It's not just because we give a few dollars. No. It's through a committed heart, by God's grace, through faith. That's how we do it. And the Bible example of surrendered saints ought to help motivate and inspire us in our own evangelistic endeavors for our Lord and for our Savior. Amen? What a great example of a missions-minded church. May the Lord help us to be the same. The key is the grace of God and God's people being willing to give themselves first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to digest the truth today and do it in such a way that it becomes personal. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I need your grace in my life to be able to serve you, to minister here. Lord, you know my heart. I just want to please you. I want to be obedient to you. I don't like the times that I fail you, but Lord, I pray that you'd use me anyway for your glory. And Lord, enable me by your divine favor Lord, help us to engage on an, even, on an even deeper level in communicating well with the burden and the ministry and the needs and participate, not just with a few dollars that we give and never think about again, but with our heart. And if you would so open the door with our feet and our hands. Lord, we love you today. Pray that this heart would be surrendered. And Lord, may there be men who say, I'll be willing. I'll stand in the gap. Lord, here am I. Send me. If you want me to preach the gospel, I'll do it. I don't know how I can, but I'll do it by your grace. May that be the heart of your people. Lord, there are people that need in my family that need the gospel. Give me your grace and the courage to speak up. It seems as though the Lord is returning very soon. Help me to have compassion on their soul. Give me your grace to say what needs to be said. We all have a part to play. We all need the grace of God. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to digest that today, to make it personal, to receive it, Lord, to grow from it. So that Jesus Christ is exalted and the Lord is glorified, that we might be vessels that are able to be used of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.